Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. Greg Mazu is our guest for episode 51. Greg is the owner of a handful of trail-based companies, most notably Single Track Trails, a trail building company based out of Grand Junction, Colorado. We covered a lot of ground in the world of trails during this episode. There is definitely something for everyone here. Most importantly, Greg was very candid during this conversation, and for that I am very grateful. Support for Trail Effect comes from Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Smith's is a full-service bike shop that is a retailer for Trek Bicycle Company and Salsa Cycles. Smith's also has a full line of components and accessories from Bontrager and other various companies. Most of you are well aware of the chain supply issues our world is facing. The good news is that new bikes are rolling onto the sales floor daily at Smith's Bike Shop. For more information about Smith's Bike Shop, go to www.smithsbikes.com. A special thanks goes out to Ben Wallenach of Mountain Bike Radio for supporting this podcast and to the people who have shared their time and knowledge. Without this, we would not have these stories to tell. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. Here we are today with Trail Effect. I have Greg Mazu with Single Track Trails. He's also the owner of Tools for Trails, Backslope Trails, and Desert Rat Tours. How's it going today, Greg? It's going great. You? It's going good here. It's a afternoon here in Wisconsin, and winter is upon us, but we haven't seen snow yet. Understood. We're we're still waiting for our first real snow as well here in Colorado. So let's dig into what got you just to the bike in general. Uh, to the bike in general was was probably the the escape from teenage life back back when I was growing up in the Midwest. I, I got into uh, riding bikes probably in my early teens. And then um, I would just I would go for long rides just to just to get out of the house and, 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 and go relieve some 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 stress, if you will, of, of being a kid growing up. And, and eventually those those rides became more organized. I showed up to, to some road races as well and then started racing in my late teens into my early 20s on the road before before kind of giving up on the bike for a while before moving out to Seattle and getting back into mountain biking and that was that was around 1999 when I when I really started mountain biking for real what inspired you to to road race specifically that's you know there's not a whole lot of people that we do have on the podcast that road race but I believe every mountain biker probably road road rides or most right. of them do Right, and I just got back from a from a gravel ride as well um, before we started this. So I uh, I still spend most of my time on a on a road bike. It seems just because it's easier. You know, I was I was in Indiana. There there were not a lot of trails, and it was the it was the early '90s, so there was even less trail. Uh, and let's just say that bicycle like like to sound like like the grumpy old dude like 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 the bikes back then are not the bikes today. They just weren't fun to ride. Cantilever brakes, fully rigid. Uh, how many, how many forks did you break by bending it all the way back to the, to the down tube when you, when you, when you went over the bars? Yeah, that was definitely a real thing. I, that's when I started mountain biking was back in the late eighties, early nineties. So I remember awesome 
geometry and horrible <laughs> everything else. Awesome geometry isn't the same as a road bike. Seven, yeah, super sarcastic there. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, let's. Yeah. So. So you're on the road bike. Hmm. And and so so I you know I I got through college racing on on the road. Uh, but towards towards the end of college, I I just kind of got fed up with. With, with results I was getting and, and holding too much pressure to myself. And so I, I kind of quit road racing for a while and, and, and kind of lost quote unquote, lost my way in terms of how I was exercising and, and what I was doing. And I uh, graduated from, from Indiana university, went on a month long road trip uh, out West. Uh, I've always had my eye on the Pacific Northwest reconnected with a friend from, from uh, IU and she, had just gotten a job at Raleigh Diamondback at the time. And, and so by the end of that summer, I was, I was out in Seattle. I moved out there and I was working for, uh, for Raleigh and Diamondback. And that was when they still had Univega as a, as a, as a bike brand or fun Vega, as I used to call it. And, and, and just trying to find a way of, of, of growing, growing out of the Midwest and, and hitting Seattle, right. Basically after the grunge era and, just having fun. And, and, and my friends there, obviously working in the bike industry, uh, we, we would road ride during the week at lunch and then we'd go mountain biking on the weekends around. And, and I just kind of kept getting into it more and more. And eventually after about a year, when I moved to Seattle, I, I had shared a moving truck with a friend and I dropped him off here in Fort Collins, Colorado. And I thought I was going to start doing the six months in Colorado, six months in Seattle kind of thing, going back and forth. And I met a girl who I still live with uh, at the time, and she was not overly pumped on the six months here, six months there. She wanted to be more, a little bit more settled uh, than that. And and so I, needless to say, it's 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 kind of like the movie Pulp Fiction and, and Jules saying, you know, my girlfriend's a vegetarian, so therefore I'm a vegetarian. And so my girlfriend wanted to live in Colorado, so therefore I lived in Colorado, and still to this day do I live here. So. And, and over, over time, uh, got more mountain biking in Colorado, got into trail building as a volunteer, uh, and then had a dead end job when I was about 20, I was about 24 at the time with a dead end job and weaseled my way into a, a, a trail building job with, with Colorado state parks here in Fort Collins. Wow. So how did that go the early days of trail building then for you? And what, uh, what really piqued your interest to want to continue on with trail building? I'll take on the, the easier part there first. So what, what piqued my interest was it was working outside. It was, it was physical labor. It, I used to joke that my, my office, my office was the, was the state park and my, I had a cubicle down in a building and I tried to spend as little time in the cubicle as possible. I, I spent most of my days out built either building trail, flagging trail, maintaining trail, just being, being outside away from, away from everybody else. And, and, enjoying enjoying life that way why i kind of gained interest in it is i didn't know i I didn't really know what i i graduated iu got a degree had an idea of where i wanted to go but it was all kind of related to 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 bike racing and I, i what i knew is i no longer wanted to be a bike racer and so trail building gave me an in to the outdoor recreation industry at the time that was not based in a cubicle. You know, I, I knew that being in the bike industry out in Seattle, that most of the future of, of, of any job that I would want in the bicycle industry revolved around a cubicle and building trail allowed me to be outside away from a cubicle, but still having an impact 
on local recreation at the time. And then you decided to make a full-time career out of it by starting single track trails, eh? Uh, well, I never really decided to start single track trails. I realized one day that the state, state parks were paying me more as a contractor. The funding that they had for, for my position was not eligible to pay seasonal employees, which I thought I was. And so I woke up one day and realized I had a business. I never had to make the gut-wrenching decision to leave a job to go to go start a company. And that's paid off well over the last 17 years. But it's also it's also been now that I have a fleet of 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 businesses, uh, it's it was also bad because I'm like, ah, I'll just start another business. It's not that difficult. So so it's 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 been a good thing and a bad thing. Yeah. So obviously, eventually you decided to move out of, not move, but take your business out of Colorado. Like how did that growth occur and kind of get you to parlay into moving into different states or different working for different entities? Well, Fort Collins being the roughly the northernmost city on I-25 in Colorado, as I was getting into trail building, as I was getting into realizing that I had a company one in the trail solutions was getting going about the same time as I was, as I was getting into realizing that I was owning my own company. And so I was able to farm myself out to them a little bit, but also at the same time, Wyoming state parks, uh, there was a gentleman up there trying to get trails going at Kirk Gowdy state park, just, just what in between Laramie and, and Cheyenne and, and they were doing some volunteer days. They had put out a, a large contract that another builder had gotten, but he was really ambitious to get this one trail done at by by the end of the season, and he reached out to me because he was also a member of uh, the Overland Mountain Bike Association here in Fort Collins, and and he knew I was building trails, so he reached out and said, "Hey, like, will you come up and help us finish this volunteer trail and, and bring a machine up and 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 build the rest of it?" And so the that was how I got moving out of state was just. Wyoming, which is a simple 20 minute drive away to the border from where I'm sitting right now and an hour to, to Kurt Gowdy State Park. It was it was just that it was that step. It was that easy. So Wyoming State Parks called. Then the next year got a little bit more work at Kurt Gowdy and the next year got more. Then they extended up to Glendo State Park, which is 100 miles north of Cheyenne. And then continuing at the time doing more work for, for Imba Trail Solutions for a couple of years. And then it was, it, it was like, to me, it was always the, 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 the country was always open for, for where we would work. And so I would, I would chase large projects to help develop the company, you know, by, by the end of 2011, 2012, we were done at Glendo state park in 2013, we got a large build in Nashville, Tennessee at Percy Warner park, uh, where we came in and, and built, uh, I believe it was nine miles that summer. Uh, a couple years later, we went to Iowa and built White Rock just west of Des Moines. And and we just kind of kept chasing the work around the country to the point now, I think uh, this summer we were in seven different states kind of at one time uh, run running crews. So we run six to seven projects at a time right now. And we have a East Coast office based in Brevard. I I convinced a longtime subcontractor to to finally come on board a couple of years ago to to join Seal Track Trails and 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 kind of level out our revenue throughout the whole year because as as many people know trail building is a seasonal activity and and missing revenue from from November through April basically is 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 pretty tough to to run a business on and to you know maintain a, a lifestyle on. 
that got you going pretty big, pretty quickly. Uh, with that, do you have any projects specifically or trails that stick out in your mind as being kind of stuff you're really proud of or stuff that you go back to or, you know, what really out of all that work? Cause I, I've gone on your, you know, I've gone on your website. I've done a bunch of research. You have a ton of trails that you've built across the country, especially that show up on like trail forks. Mm-hmm. I, I think I, they're all, they're all special little trails, right? Because we leave our, our heart and soul in them. Uh, if, if I had to, if, if I had to leave a list of, of not ones that I'm most proud of, but like ones that helped grow the company and, 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 and maybe even have an impact on the industry, it would, you know, free lunch would be the first one that comes to mind. Uh, we're doing that in, in 2007 and 2008 with Imba Bicycle Colorado and the BLM in Grand Junction and hiring a gentleman who, who's been with the company until just very, very recently, uh, James Flatten. And, you know, I never, I never thought when I called him up that day that it was going to be a 14 year partnership of working at single track trails together. Another one over, over in, in Grand Junction that comes to mind is, is, PBR, we, you know, pumps, berms, and rollers, or, or whatever, whatever letters you want to, words you want to put with those letters. I believe the official name is pumps, bumps, and rollers, but, uh, built that one in 2012 and, uh, it, you know, it gets rave reviews. I was on it a few weeks ago with friends from Seattle and, and just everybody loved it. And, and, and fortunately or unfortunately, it's been described as a timeless classic. And I don't know how to take that, whether, whether that's just like the, the, the knock on it, or if that's actually like, Hey, this is a really fun trail, but that is also the last trail that I was allowed to build start to finish on the lead machine within the company. At that point, we started getting other operators going at that point. Uh, my job became to start to keep the pipeline full. And then for the next few years after that, I would, I would be, I would be in a machine. I would be on a machine for a little bit on, on our project, but I would probably actually spend more of my time at the back doing cleanup and letting, letting the operators get going. And then eventually they started yelling at me that I wasn't doing a good job at doing finish work. And so I wasn't even allowed to do finish work anymore. And now I own a company that nobody will actually let me build a foot of trail. So, uh, they say I make too much of a mess, but, and then finally, uh, I think, the Percy Warner trails and having gone back and revisited those trails this spring of 21, uh, that was, that was, that was the first big project. Uh, uh, it brought Shrimper who is our, who is our now Southeast project manager based in Brevard. It brought us to him. It was the first project that I did with him. And now he's on board as, as single track trail staff. And it showed that, that we could move across the country and, and build a trail and, I also left some single track trail staff in Colorado to to continue working on a project that we have just west of Denver that has been it's a private property project that's been ongoing for for 10 years but but we were able to take care of two projects at a time and and with me being you know all the way across the country on the eastern time zone to you know allowed us to do that and realize that Hey, we are we are capable of running multiple projects at a time, and we do have the staff that has has the love for this, and we can trust each other to to get our jobs done. Yeah, and you just you just threw out a state that piqued my interest, and this is going to detour off something that we didn't that I didn't throw out as a topic to you, but that's the state of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. I recently finished up a six part interview, a six part or series, is the best way of putting it, on Knoxville, mm-hmm. in in that region, and one of the things that really 
kind of blew me away. And it's really starting to become more apparent as I dig into to Tennessee as a state more is that Tennessee as a state is really embracing mountain biking and trails. Mm-hmm. And I know in recent years, Arkansas has really been kind of on everybody's front and center radar. But I think Tennessee, it's like, a, it's like an arms race down there. Uh, well, Knox, Knoxville definitely leading the way. Those, uh, is it, it's Brian Hahn and Shaggy's over there and uh, Tom, uh, Kellogg. Uh, the yeah, EV, Matthew Kellogg. Matt, Matt Kellogg. You know, they're, they're definitely leading the way there on the, on, the, on the eastern corner. You know, Nashville, you know, they got Percy Warner. They have, they have some projects around there. Oh, I mean, how can we forget about Nuga though? I mean, Chattanooga, it's definitely an arms race in, in Tennessee between Chattanooga and, and Knoxville. And, and yeah, those, those, those guys on the Eastern side of the state are, are there. They love their mountain biking. Uh, they love their humidity and, and it, it, it is a hidden little gem, Tennessee. Uh, and it's ideal. Like it's ideal to, to go ride right now in like late November, December, and, and, and it, you can ride it in February, March into April before, before, you know, me being a softy Coloradoan would, would be just complaining about the humidity. So. Yeah, that is something that they even made fun of when we were talking to them about how a lot of people can't handle that humidity and, and it is real. It's their version of altitude. Right, right. Uh, I go, when I go east of the Mississippi, people are like, you're from Colorado. Why aren't you going faster? It's like, how can you breathe? Like, I'm used to this light and fluffy air. It's, it's easy to turn over. There's not a lot of it, but it's easy to turn over. And it's like, I don't have gills. I didn't, I didn't, I, I, I didn't grow gills. So, yeah. Yeah, one of the bigger trails that you've been involved with, a really big trail, is the Palisade Plunge, and and that trail specifically got on my radar through the Freehub magazine feature that you mm-hmm. were just in a couple months ago. Let's talk about that trail and what like really what went into getting that thing scratched into this earth because it's a it's from the from that article, and if nobody's read that article, I highly recommend reading that article. It seemed like an impressive accomplishment. Uh, yeah, Kurt, Kurt did a really great job of, of riding up the Palisade plunge in, in that article and, and the crew at Freehub did a, did a great job gathering some photos to, to, to make it look like a, a fantastic project. And it's also on, on the, on the top of the list of most influential trails that, that we've been a part of, but I wanted to hit on some history there, but, uh, it's, it's the project that I want to shut the company down on. Uh, I was like, okay, we're done. We, we accomplished it. We got to the end. Uh, we can't go any farther beyond this. And as a, as a business to, to get in, we can get into the planning of it in a second, but as, as a business, like where we were the day that we were awarded phase one of the Palisade plunge, we had 18 people in the company. And six weeks later, when we started the Palisade plunge, we had 36 people in the company. Uh, and by the end of the project, and both phases of the project, we sat at 46 people in the company. We had to develop a true, we had to develop HR. We had to hire a general manager. We had to, we had to construct, you know, internal logistics of single track trails to be able to complete other projects and focus on the Palisade plunge and, and then just battle the Grand Mesa. It, uh, the Grand Mesa is a beautiful flat top mountain, but it is, it is not kind to those that want to take on the, the process of, of, reshaping her into into a trail yeah but the palisade plunge it was was uh we'll just say it was the result of a of a maybe a couple too many beers by a couple locals 
uh, sitting around staring at the Mesa and like, wouldn't it be cool if we could get a trail from up there down in the town? And, uh, you know, I'm sure that happened. I'm sure that happened amongst a lot of people sitting around. I, I sat in Grand Junction myself staring at that at that at that mountain thinking, wouldn't it be cool to do this? But but these these two guys actually had had they, they kept it going. They kept it going beyond that barbecue. And that was probably about 10 years ago, which when you think about the Palisade Plunge being 32 miles long uh, from the top of the Grand Mesa down into the town of Palisade, uh, traversing across both Forest Service and BLM, in addition to city of Pal- or town of Palisade, city of Grand Junction properties, it, it, that's, that's a huge feat. Like, like we, like some local advocates spend longer than 10 years to try to get one trail on one, on one parcel of, of BLM land. And here the, the COTMOBA, the local trail association and its leadership, they had to, they had to get this trail designed and through the system with all of these different stakeholders. I think the number was 18 on an e like there were 18 different agency stakeholders involved somehow some way with with the palisade plunge over over the years and cotmoba to its credit was able to wrangle everybody together was able to get everybody moving in the right direction their if you will their 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 mascot their their logo on, in a couple of spots is a biker pelly uh so it's based on coca pelly and on a bike and if you think about what the coca pelly was and 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 leading the way with his flute, like that's exactly what Cotmoba had to do to to get this trail done, and you know get it funded, get it get it planned. Uh, how many times did they go up and and have to bushwhack through miles of scrub oak just to get to where they wanted to to flag a trail, only to have to rip down that flagging because that concept wasn't going to work out. You know, my my feet hurt right now just just even thinking about that. And uh, they got it done. They got it uh, at the time in in early 2015. John Hickenlooper was the governor of of Colorado, and he was termed out, and he was trying to make a an impact on outdoor recreation. So he created the 16 and 16 list, which meant 16 outdoor recreation trail projects that he wanted to see funded or moved forward somehow. And uh, the Palisade Plunge was one of those those 16 and 16, which really helped the effort to get uh, money for planning for the to get the NEPA done. Mesa County was the actual fiscal agent for the entire project because it crossed so many different land agencies. And then they got the money for for phase one, and then they got the money for phase two, and we were able to build the 32 miles in two years of 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 build time, and and we survived. Like literally, we survived. <laughs> there are so many different ways we could go with what you just said. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you hit on was just to get anything done in ten years when dealing with government, whether it's a small right. five mile trail in some local municipality. Like you, you said it. There's a lot of trail organizations that struggle to pull something like that off. Right, and and it comes down to I think uh, we were t- chatting about this before we went to record, and and. I think it comes down to like making plans and the, the great thing that caught MOBA did was, you know, they, they, they created a vision and from that vision, you know, that one could almost argue that they made a business plan, right? They created, they, they, they saw a need, they figured out how they were going to complete it. They created the vision, they created a, basically a pitch deck and they started pitching it to people 
they you know the, and and the, their funders being the land agencies and over time they kind of wore on those 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 funders but they they had their their ducks in a row and conveniently at the same time we as an industry and that's the outdoor rec industry as as a whole we're starting to to gather information on you know the economic impact of of trails and outdoor recreation and they were able to include those numbers they worked with the Colorado it's now Colorado Mesa University there in Grand Junction to get some economic impact data for mountain biking in the valley and as they led the way to with with the county commissioners and and the and the town councils uh, they were able to 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 get this going but it really came down to they developed a plan and over time they tweaked that plan but but they still had a plan. It wasn't just a, a bar napkin plan. It was written down. It was, it was a, it was a PDF that could be shared out. It had good facts. They had, they had talking points that people would have for meetings. And, and, and I think that's, that's why people bought into it and, and got, and it got done so quickly. So generally speaking, what have you seen in terms of how planning really helps get trails built in the industry? anywhere in the country. Right. I, you know, again, like, like a good plan for a trail is like a good plan for a business and going to the bank. We going to the bank saying, I have this idea for a business, give me money. We'll probably not get it funded. And, and going to a land agency and saying, we want to, we want a trail. We want a mountain bike trail. Well, where do you want that trail? What's the impact that that trail is going to have? You know, they're they like, you know, not only do they have people coming to them and saying we want trails, they also have people saying we want better fishing or we want better camping, and you know, they're they're just trying to triage the situation of of everyone that has demands on on their land. And so, if we as as advocates for trails can can put together a plan and and kind of know, maybe it doesn't it doesn't have to go through the environmental process and be be that ready to go, but if it could be a good plan with a good map and a, and a kind of a dial plan or GPS line, and then have, have the known impacts that that trail could have on, on the environment that, that it's in. I think we would get more, more trails done if, if we could come together, you know, think about trails as being a business and thinking about our land agencies as, as funders for that business. We, I think we would, we would get a lot more done in, in this world. Yeah, for certain. So we're going to change gears just a little bit, just a little bit. One of the things that really caught my eye after reading the article in Freehub is I went, I then went to your website and I noticed this thing called the manifesto. <laughs> and that was really got me, got my gears going about, I got to have Greg on this podcast because this, that's a, it's a long manifesto. It's a detailed mm-hmm. manifesto and it's a pretty impactful manifesto. Let's talk about that. Yeah, no, no problem. Uh, I just spun a lot of thoughts. So uh, the, the man, like, I mean, when you say manifesto, everybody thinks about about Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, right? Just like, like we're all just crazy dudes out in the woods, like angry at the world and, and society. And obviously, we should all have a manifesto. But the manifesto was the re, was the re result of 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 growth of the business and and longtime staff saying the new guys don't understand. And the new guys saying, "Hey, we want to be, we want to do more," and 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 me kind of like losing control and just saying, "Hey, we're all on the same page, and we're we're all trying to create a company that has a great company culture," and 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 I kind of sat down one day and and just started typing. 
uh, like a like a crazed lunatic, and 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 the manifesto is what came out. We discuss the, the 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 days of the lore. I mean, every you know, like we all we all can sit around the bar and talk about the glory days, right? And and we had the A team when when the company was just you know four to five of us, and I was still on the trail every single day, and we were all we were all clicking, and 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 you know, but at some point we want to move beyond move beyond just roles. And I've, I've had this conversation with longtime staff as, as they've moved out. And it's just like, you know, if, if after eight years of working with single track trails, if, if, if I was still out telling you guys what to do every single day, and I was the guy on the lead machine and, and barking orders at you, would you still be with the company? And they're like, no, we want to have personal growth. I'm like, okay, so this is, this is why we grow the company and, and, and elevate you into different roles. But really, it came down to also I drive. I do a lot of driving, if it, if it, you know if it's not noticeable. Uh, I I do a, I do a lot of too much thinking while I drive and listen to podcasts, and and I got big into the Netflix culture deck at the time, and and getting into how how do we treat people well, how do how do we empower staff to come on board, and how how do they understand what what this company is all about. And so that's why I created the the manifesto was like, these are our thoughts. In theory, it's a living document. It hasn't been updated too much since it's been done. Uh, a couple, a couple phrases have been added, but uh, we're really only adding to it. And, and over the next few years, we'll, we'll probably add, add some more to it as, as, as we organize this, this tornado of chaos. That is, that is me in terms of creating other businesses and, and ideas and concepts, we're going to be bringing in different styles of employees. It's, it's more, it was really geared towards just the trail builders. And now, and now we have people that, that do do a lot for the company that aren't just trail trail builders. We have a management team and it's like, how does the manifesto apply to the management team? But in there, it, it, it just trying to put it out there like, Hey, this is who we are. This is why you should come work for us. Or this is why you should work with us in terms of, you know, potential clients. Yeah, it's it's really good. We're gonna we're gonna kind of stay on this theme of digging into what was written by Kurt in Free Hub Magazine, which is one of the things he talked about was creating mortgage paying jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, you've talked a couple times about having different roles within your company, but then you also have other companies as well with you know that kind of fall under the whole umbrella of everything. Right. You know, I think. And this is just my take on this. I think we sell ourselves short in trail building specifically because a lot of us came from the volunteer background Mm -hmm. and we want to just get more trail and do whatever it takes to get more dirt shaped on the ground for people to use. Mm -hmm. As the industry evolves and the industry matures, you know, what does, what does that mean to to create mortgage paying jobs. Cause it is super important. I look at a trail builder as no builder than any other, no different than any other trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to table the, the thought on, on how we sell ourselves as trail builders, because that, that could be a couple hour soapbox on my part. And so I want to hit on the mortgage paying, paying salaries first, and then we'll come back to the, like how, how we sell ourselves because it's, as we were communicating back and forth before today, that's really come to light in the last, in the last 10 days about how we as an industry sell ourselves. But let's hit like, so a few years ago for a couple years in a row, there was a, a, a conference called the mountain venture summit. 
it was based between Mammoth Lakes, California and Telluride. And it was a couple guys who let, let's get, let's get basically entrepreneurs and governments and retailers together for, for a conference on, on especially specifically mountain town and, 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 you know, mountain town entrepreneurs. And it kind of expanded beyond just mountain towns to, to the desert towns, if you will, outdoor rec towns, it really became outdoor recreation focused. And, uh, the, the, it was the second or third year, uh, it was my first time attending it in Mammoth and Chris McNamara, the, the, the old school rock climber, if you will, was giving a, a keynote at lunch and he's been developing some, some businesses and, and properties in, in Tahoe. And, and, and it just struck me one day. He's like, like, we're trying to bring jobs to Tahoe. We're trying to bring year round jobs to Tahoe. We're trying to bring have people move here and just be, but just because we're creating jobs, if they can't pay a mortgage in Tahoe, if they're having to drive in an hour away, did we actually create a job in Tahoe? Like they're working in Tahoe, but they're living an hour away. And it, at the time I was trying to live full time in winter park, which is a mountain town here in Colorado. And it really just struck me and it struck me with what I was trying to build as a company is like, Hey, like just because you work for single track trails, if you can't afford to buy it. I mean, if you want to buy a house, you, there should be a way for you to be able to afford to buy a house. We should pay you enough to, to be able to do that. You're a skilled artisan craftsman and, and you should make enough to be able to do that. And so, so the goal, the goal has always been to be able to pay, pay folks, you know, a living, a living wage and, and pay them as the artisan craftsmen as they are. And, and we've been doing pretty good over on that. Um, you know, Recently, they did a couple years ago. They raised the the minimum wage in Colorado, which kind of made it seem like art. I was not paying as much as I as I was, and but in other parts of the country, yeah, we're 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 well above minimum wage. We're we're in that living you know in that living wage, and and unfortunately, like a lot of the guys and a lot of the staff members, they they will need to have us you know just with like in any industry you know, you're going to have to have the the income of your wife to be able to buy a house. You know, if, if you're buying here in the Colorado front range, you're definitely going to need, you know, additional income to, to be able to do that uh, with where with where minimum house prices are. And so, yeah, so the mortgage paying salaries is, is this is the goal. We want to be able to pay pay what what the value of what artisans should make in the industry. It, it's the goal is, is creating a payable wage for, for folks to, to live and, and not have to like work for single track for two or three years as the fun job before they go, go out into the industry and get a real job that they can afford in our lifestyle. We want them to stick around for 14 years to, for 10 years for, for five years. And um, the, the way to do that is to pay is to pay them so that they can afford a life. So we're talking about, you know, creating more, creating more mortgage paying jobs. Now I'm having a hard time saying it. Yes. Creating mortgage paying jobs and, you know, really getting the industry and trail building to mature. Well, it is mature, you know, to to really kind of follow that lead, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think, you know, your company is a good example of a company that's, that's got a decent amount of employees in it. There's a handful mm-hmm. of other companies within within the industry that have done a good job scaling as well, and I believe they're paying their employees pretty good. But it's it's really so I don't know if internally it's super important to sell it, but to kind of get people that might not be in tune with trail building and let them know that you know we are a real industry, we are a real trade, 
We, yeah. we do real work. Right. And that's, that's, that's a, that's another way to, to, to look at it is, is it's not about selling why you should come to single track trails to work as we pay this, but why should you be paying like your, your first response when we tell you that, that, you know, the, you know, the range of, of per foot cost for trail construction is five to $8 a foot. Your first response shouldn't be like, Oh my God, that's so expensive. Or why is it that costs that much? It's like, because people want to make a living doing what you're doing. And, and, and we, as an industry need to need to sell ourselves on, on this as well as, is, you know, we should never be saying, Oh, that, 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 that's so expensive. Like, why did it cost so much to build that trail? It's like, we should all have our own spreadsheets. We should all understand what it, what goes into building a, a mile of trail on, on each and every project. Uh, I get asked quite a bit as I travel the country, like what's it cost to build a foot of trail? And it's just like, depends on where you are. Uh, depends on what you're doing. Every project is different. It's like, what, it's not a standard rate. It's like, no, it's not a standard rate. And you know, building building easy green trail through through prairie is for as a green trail is is way cheaper than it is to build a green trail across a, a, a rocky black diamond ski slope. And just because it's a green trail doesn't mean that it's the cheapest trail either, right? So building building at ski areas, building green trails at ski areas on on the side of mountains across black diamond ski runs, it's gonna it's gonna be pretty hard to do that because not only do you have to manage the trail itself and the qualities of the trail, you have to think about what you're doing, how you're impacting the ski run by putting, by putting a trail in there as well and what it's going to do, the snow base. And so, and so, but we as, as an industry kind of keep coming back. And I think because the foundations of the industry are in volunteerism, when it, whenever we hear that uh, it costs money to build a foot of trail, like our first response is like, that's so expensive. I'm just going to go grab my shovel and go out there and do it myself. It's like, but you yourself, you have value. Like, like you're basically saying that you cost nothing to go out and build a trail. And, you know, it's like you don't show up to when, when the, when the sewer company calls your neighborhood and says, there's, there's a backup in the sewer line. We need a whole bunch of volunteers to come out and fix it. There's not a, there's not a lineup of, of, of you and your neighbors with pigmatics and shovels and excavators to help fix a sewer line. We want to pay people to a living wage to do that. And so same thing when it comes to trail building, we want to pay people a living wage to get that done. And, and it's going to cost a, a, you know, more than a lot of people think is, is of, of proper value. Well, and that trail provides a, a long-term experience for the users. Yeah. For, for the users, it provides them with a good user. Uh, if, if, if you're in a, if you're in a destination town, uh, it provides tourism dollars to, for people to come there. If you live in a place like, uh, well, I'll just use La Crosse, Wisconsin. Uh, you guys have more trails and, and possibly there's an exodus of people from the cities around you uh, in the last couple of years. And they're coming there because of the trails and they're able to work remotely because of the trails and their house is more valuable because of those trails. A couple of years ago, some economists at Caro Mason University he was buying a house and he got all kind of nerdy, if you will, and started evaluating GIS data. And he found that if you buy a house within 250 meters of, of a trail, you see a 9% increase in that home value. And if it's within 500 meters of a, of a, of a trail, it's a 7% increase in value. And, and, and he kind of went from there. And it's just like our trails, our trails bring value to people's you know, quality of life. 
and and we need to put value on that and and just like roads provide quality of our highways provide a, a, a value to our quality of life in terms of being able to get from one place to the other our trails do the same and and we, and we should we should want we should want to you know pay more for for those trails so we're going to stay on this theme which is communities and trails mm-hmm. so it's a little bit different than the money part of it but in your opinion how important is it to have a good diversity of different trail experiences within a community? I think it's ex- uh, excessively important. Um, I get to go to a lot of communities across across the country. I you know I, I live on the knife edge of of work and play as as I travel. I travel all the time for work, and I work all the time, and I get to play all the time as well. But I get to go see. I typically get to go see the best trails a community has to offer and the worst trails that a community has to offer. And as, as I've traveled, the communities that I have the most fun riding my bike have a variety of different trails. They have they have the gnarly user created stuff. They have you know purpose built trails with a lot of bumps, pumps, bumps, and berms. And 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 it's all over the place because if I if I look at my own personal lifestyle and if you look at how I have so many different businesses and we work on so many different projects, like me doing the same thing over and over does not lead to a happy life. I want to, I want to always be doing something different. And so uh, when I show up to a community and all the trails that they have are are the same, um, it's just not as fun. And I've, I've tried to purposely as we've grown single track trails, think about this when we get large scale projects as well. Like, if we were to get a, a, let's just say a brand new trail system of 15 miles and, and we're going to build it from scratch, like, do we want to make it so that, that all of those trails are of the exact same flavor and, and built the same, or do we want to be like, Oh, that, that we want that to be a, a, a rocky gnarly black trail. And so we're going to bring maybe a subcontractor in who specializes in that, or we're going to bring, and at this point, we now have enough crews within single track trails. Like we're going to be in our rock crew for that one. And then over here, we're going to bring our trail dozer because that's going to be the best one to build that green trail. And we're going to build this one by a mini excavator and, and that'll have a different flavor. And then, oh, by the way, let's not forget that hand-built trails are the best trails. And so we're going to have a significant amount of, of, of intimate hand-built trails out there. And so having that variety is, is, is ideal. And, and if we look at going back to planning, if you, if we look at the, the, the feedback that we always get on plans across the country, it's, it's people want variety. And, and when you see a lot of people get angry about new trails, it's probably because there's not a lot of variety. Yeah. And I think you may have been, or single track trails, i.e. Shrimper may have been involved with the V hollow trails. Mm-hmm. Just outside yeah. of Knoxville and Townsend, which was a system that I was very fortunate to get a preview of while I was down there through Shaggy. And that's a great right. example and, of variety. Right. And, and Kmart did a, a fantastic job of, of, of picking and choosing uh, regional-based contractors to, to come in and, and, and build that system. He had Shaggy working on, on kind of the more bike-specific bike stuff. Uh, we were working more on the hand-built, uh, intimate trail, you know, machine-built projects. Uh, he brought in, uh, I can't remember who did the, the black trails right now. I think that was Night Eyed out of Vermont. Right. Yeah. Night brought night down to, to, to do that. Uh, and, and so, yeah, so I, I got to ride there, uh, in May as well. Shrimper and I drove over at the, at the exact same time that, that, uh, there was a, a gas 
a gas crisis going on in the southeast and and people were lined up for gas we're like let's drive three hours and 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 go check out this project and, and see if we can get some gas along the way and and we got over there and oh valerie naylor was there as well she was building a trail down and down in the valley and it was it was yeah it was it was a great trail system he had imba in to build a trail uh and and every every trail was a little different you could piece together different loops and 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 it was a it was an ideal way to put together a trail system you also talked about hand cut and one of the i think one of the more recent trails systems if you want to call it a trail system (laughs) within bentonville is hand cut hollow yeah so that was uh I, I like to say that's what got us called up out of the miners to go work in Bentonville was uh, the fact that, you know, you know, not not many companies out there still prefer will still pick up hand tools and build by build by hand. Right. Like there's very few of us out there. And so so they were watching the work on the Palisade Plunge. They were watching the work that we were doing elsewhere. And, and finally, they said, this is what we want in, in, in Bentonville. So they called us up last year to to go in and, and build by hand. And 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 there's some other hand-built projects that are going on in in Bentonville, but we were we were able to come in and help spearhead uh, hand-cut hollow and 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 build a, a great loop and 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 build more of that you know I, I use intimate all the time because it's 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 really hard with a machine. Can you do it with an excavator to 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 keep the the trees narrow to keep the rocks narrow? Uh, yeah, but it's a whole lot easier to do it with 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 by hand and hand tools because you know number one when you build by the machine machine safety is number you know operator safety and and machine safety are 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 the top two safety things concerns that you have to be and so you have to move more rocks and more trees to keep keep those two those two things safe as as you build and which has an impact on how the trail is laid out or or constructed in its layout and 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 when you build by hand it's like you can leave a rock that that you may not have been able to leave uh with a machine because because you don't need to worry about an operator having to teeter or or slide off of that rock and and it's just it's more intimate uh especially you know out in the desert out you know on in western colorado and into utah it's like we don't have these things called trees we don't have these things called you know the vertical texture that they have on the east coast and so uh, when when we go through with a machine and 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 you and you build a safe quality machine machine trail, there's 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 not going to be much to entertain a, a rider or a hiker as as they use the trails. They're going to want to they're going to go faster. There's not a lot of that vertical texture, and so so hand building by hand allows us to keep that that texture. Yeah, for sure. Before we detour out of communities. Is there a community that really sticks out to you as far as a place that you think would be a good place to to have that good lifestyle that sticks out, that's doing it right, that you get the ride to ride experience or the garage is my trailhead type of experience that, you know, and all the communities that you've been able to travel to. And it could even be your own community. I, I wish I could say that I, I lived in the ideal trail building community, uh, community, but, but I, you know, uh, Northern Colorado has, has some, you know, here in Fort Collins, we have some good trails, but, where I live in Fort Collins, it's, it's a 40 minute drive over to them. It's actually not that much farther for me to go up to, to Kurt Gowdy up in Wyoming than it is to, to the local trails. Uh, and, and is it just, I, I need a, I'm going to ask about a qualifier on the, are, are we just looking at trails or are we looking at overall community in terms of like, Hey, there's a job as well. I could, I could have a job and live here as well. 
No, the the full the full spectrum. Like, because there's, I'd love to live in Copper Harbor, but how, where am I going to work? Right, exactly. And and but a lot of people don't think about the job. Like, the job is is an essential part part to this. Hands down, I do love. You know, I think they miss out on the uh, my, the garage is my trailhead for for ninety five percent of the of the local population. But I just love Grand Junction and Fruta. The the writing over there speaks to me. You know, Bend has 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 a good has a good vibe going for it as well in terms of outdoor recreation. Uh, I think an up and comer. I think Kyle Hovarth, who's been on the podcast before, I think in Ely, Nevada, if he can succeed at his at his director of tourism job there, I think I think Ely is going to be on the map at, at some point. But for me, I, I just struggle because I can't sit still. And so I love to travel to all these communities. And so I'm going to I'm just going to keep working my way around the, answering this question by by listing all the great things of all the communities that I've ever been to. And, and, you know, but the obvious answer, uh, if, if, you know, because we were just talking about hand cut hollow, it's like, like Bentonville is doing a decent job at making the garage or trailhead park city could make the same, you know, doing the same thing as, you know, uh, making the garage, their trailhead. Um, but I think overall, you know, we're most, everybody's going to have to drive a little bit to it. And, uh, I think, you know, for me, I would, I prefer, like, if you get, if I had to choose Park City or Bentonville, I'd pick Park City just because I like the arid environment. Yeah. Yeah. There's still humidity in, uh, Bentonville. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. He's, you know, you, you spoke of Kyle Horvath and one thing that he said that stuck out to me was if I'm doing my job right, we're creating 2000 more jobs and getting 2000 more people to move to Ely, Nevada. Mm-hmm. And I've never heard somebody from tourism say that, say that before. And it was just, it was a, actually a breath of fresh air to hear somebody from tourism talk about their community like that. Yeah. And it's, uh, uh, I mean, he, he's on the, on the sharp edge there. And, and I think because not a lot of people understand, understand, you know, not only are, are we trying to bring people here to recreate, but those are booster shots, right? Like, you know, up in Winter Park, uh, like the 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 Chamber of Commerce kind of like they want to host a large concert every weekend, and they're wondering why there's no there's no place to to house you know the the service industry with jobs, whether it's at the ski area or the local restaurants, and it's because they keep creating these events, these large scale events that bring people in on a short term basis, and and all the all the housing is being, you know, consumed by the short-term rental market because people, people make more money from renting their house for a few weekends during the summer than they do to a, a, a mountain town service employee. And so there's, there's not a lot of jobs. There's not a lot of places for people to live in winter park. And there's, and, and so there's always a lot of jobs to fill because nobody can afford to live there. And, you know, tourism is to bring, is you know, is, is a lot to, is, is to bring people there for short term, but also, Hey, like, why don't you come here and live? And, and instead of just a short term booster shot for our economy, you're a long term, you're, you're a long term solution in terms of, of, of your paying property taxes. You're going out to eat in, you know, in winter park, you're going out to eat during the, the off season in the, in the, in the mud season. And, and you're helping keep people employed. Uh, you know, at the time when I, when I, had the the business based at it up at my house in winter park i had 
you know, we were at 18 people in the company and I had no office staff and it was easy to move the headquarters over to Grand Junction. And, and now I have, I have 10 people based in our, in our office over there. And it's just like, I was driving through winter park the other, a few weeks ago. And it's just like winter park. It's a, a town of 800 people. I actually live in Fraser, which is two miles away, but winter park has 800 people scratch that they have 800 registered voters of which they're pumped if they get a turnout of a hundred people to vote. And so it only takes 51 people to raise taxes on an entire County and all the visitors that come through winter park. And I was just driving through thinking like, if I had 10 people based in winter park right now, I could change elections based on my staff. Like they're like, we're not going to get a smart wool to move to winter park. It's like, you don't need a smart wool. All these little communities that we're talking about, you don't need to land the big fish. You need to, if you could land five to 10, 10 person companies, you're going to have a huge impact on your local economy and, and outdoor recreation impacts on your community. So let's, let's switch gears into a famous failure or famous failures that you've had in trail building or in your business or just somewhere that in life that is both potentially entertaining and educational for the listeners. Like, I don't know if any of my failures are actually famous. Famous in your mind, like something that sticks out to you. For, for me, uh, I will say this will be weird. And single track trails is, is a famous failure of mine because every, every single day we're learning something for, for 17 years, I've been running the company and you know, we're up to close to 50 people in the company. And, and I have, I have four other sister brands with, within, within the overall group of, of ownership and each and every single day I'm, I'm learning something. And I listen to business podcasts. I didn't go to business school. I didn't, I didn't intend to run a company that doing, uh, you know, you know, seven figures of, of gross revenue. I didn't intend to run a company of, of close to 50 people. I didn't intend to be able to manage everybody who, who, who's doing, you know, and their different management styles, who's, who's working for me. And so, so for me, like each and every day, like we, I have to learn from something that I've done, I'm doing wrong right now, or I had, I have to learn and fix a mistake of something I did 10 years ago, because 10 years ago, I still thought I was going to be a guy building trail every single day for, for probably the rest of my life. And it's, it's not that way. And, and I now have to, I now have to fix all of those issues and, 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 and continue to learn. And as, as I meet with people and meet with potential ways to, to fund some of the ideas that I have, they're like, well, why do you do it that way? Why didn't you do it this way? It's like, because there's no manual that really teaches me. And, and I was 25 when I started, when, when I fell into owning single track trails and, and basically starting it, I was 25. I had never, except for, you know, almost a year of my life when I worked for Raleigh Diamondback, I had never worked for a corporation until I worked for state parks for, for as a seasonal, which still doesn't give you an idea. And so, so here I am trying to run a company and I'm just, I'm, I'm making mistakes left and right. And I have to fix them every single day. Yeah. So. One of the things that I like to say, and I picked this up from a podcast because like you, I listen to a lot of different podcasts myself and learn from them is living on the edge of incompetency and how that really pushes <laughs> our growth. I am, I am, oh, that's, uh, I am going to steal that one because each and every day, uh, uh, tread, and it's, I feel like the, I was thinking about it on my ride today. It's just like, I feel like the list, 
the list of everybody who wants to tell you as the business owner that you're you're doing it wrong and you're screwing up and you're not good at what you do is is always longer than the people who are there with the high five and the slap on the ass and a good game. And 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 it's tough. Like I know that we have a manifesto. I know people want to work for single track trails. I know people are telling me that I'm doing a good job. And and but yeah, I'm I'm always on like uh hopefully hopefully I'm harnessed in on that edge of incompetency because I'm sure I could slip off a couple times. Yep, exactly. Well, let's go into your other businesses. You have tools for trails, black slope tools, and desert rat tours. Mm-hmm. We could probably start out with your tools for trails. How's that sound? I I'm gonna hit on desert rat tours because because it's the <laughs> easy it's the easy one. And that was my ego three three years ago. I was watching some friends who had owned it for for a few years, and I had heard a rumor that they were either going to shut it down or, or sell it off. And so, so my ego is like, pick me, I'll I'll buy it off of you. And and that was that was right before I made that decision. And and then basically that's when single track trails started to explode, and and took up all of my time. So it's it's a tour company, uh, a guiding tour company based in Grand Junction. Uh, it sits idle most of the time right now because because uh i just i haven't had time to focus on it and it needs a it needs a bit of a rebrand and really uh when you travel to go mountain biking or when you travel to do something what's the first thing that you grab out of your pocket when you get someplace to figure out where you want to go for a ride well now it's your smartphone but it used to be a map it used to be a map and now it's a smartphone and so so like like the the thought of the thought of 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 guiding people for mountain biking is it's just it's just not needed anymore so so especially in a place in grand junction where where all of it's so easy to navigate and, and all the good trails are and all the good loops are are on the internet tools for trails was a was a a long drive with a colleague back from a ptba conference in in, in 2011 2012 it was a good friend of mine scott lindenberger who who now runs kaylin enterprises and we were driving back and we're talking about the need for a retail shop to supply to trail builders and whatnot. And so we kind of created it and it sat idle for a few years while he focused on, on, on planning trails and running Kaylin and, and I focused on building trails and building single track trails. Uh, eventually it got to be a little, like it, it was taking it more time and it was like, you know, he wanted it to move on. It wasn't worth his time. And for me, I was like, well, it kind of makes sense. I have a trail building company and here's a tool supplier. So it kind of makes sense to keep those two together. And so I, I, I bought them out of, of tools for trails and, and slowly over time, we've shifted to, to Shopify as an online platform. Uh, we, we are uh, moving forward on trying to bring other, you know, you know, supply tools to river restoration and other, other areas of, of outdoor recreation and, and environmental, you know, services. Uh, and, and it was this summer I was in Reno and, and Downeyville hanging out with, with my friend Kurt and he, he put it bluntly to me on my last dinner there. He's like, do you know who made money off the gold rush in the 1850s? And I was like, I, I don't, I don't know the, the, the banks. He's like, it was the suppliers. And I was like, oh shit. Uh, and, and I, I finally realized, and, and we now have a, a game plan for tools for trails. It's just like, let's just say there's, there's 3000 trail associations in the country and, 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 and local municipalities and whatnot who are all building trails. Like we need to be the go-to source for, for all of those companies and, 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 and agencies uh, to come to us because, you know, we are, you know, through single track trails and through 
our, our colleagues in the PTBA were able to, to, to beat up hand tools and we're able to beat up the products that we need. And so if, if you come to us, like whatever we carry has already been field tested by, by, by professionals in the industry. And so, so, you know, it's going to work for you, but out of that being in the bike industry many years ago is, is, uh, if if you ever wondered that if there's a lot of margin in in, in selling hard tools for 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 trail building, uh, it, it's it's not accurate. And so I was lamenting about this fact to to some old school bike industry friends of mine from Seattle, and they're just like, well, why don't we create our own tool brand? So if if you're going to struggle with a lack of margins, paying other people those, you might as well create your own tool brand, and suffer the lack of margins on, on your own and, and pay yourself those lack of margins. And uh, so we created Backslope Tools uh, a couple of years ago, and, and we've been trying to innovate. Uh, we've, you know, most recently we've taken, we've taken the, uh, the McLeod, which if, if you really think about the McLeod, it's the, it's the same tool as it was when McLeod invented it. Like, like there's, there's a couple different varieties from Nupla and then Zach and, and Corona out there and they're all kind of roughly the same tool. And, and I know, you know, that how this goes, and I know a lot of the listeners will understand this, but at the end of a volunteer trail day, when you're done, you're tired, you're, you're you don't want to deal with any more volunteers. You're waiting to get to your burger and your beer and you're trying to stack the tools in the trailer. How, how does, how does stacking on the cloud go at the end of a day? You can get three or four together and then they all fall over. They all fall over and it just adds that anchor. You're like, that's three more seconds till I get to my beer. So all we did, and like one of the innovations that we did was, was, was just, you know, widen that center time and, and they're, they're stackable. My friend in Seattle was like, you know, it's like, well, what about you're driving around town and, and you have a couple of clouds in the back of your truck. And, you know, if you're in Seattle, you think about this, or if you're in any large city, those tools could walk away or, you know, for the example, we also use up in, up in Seattle, there's Duthie Hill. And let's just say there's a, there's a spot and you want to leave a tool and, you know, how many people leave tools out in the woods unlocked and they're always like, Oh, we got to hide these. And so one of the, one of the sticks that we're doing is, is we're trying to make everything we make lockable. So if you want to leave it in the woods, you can sling a cable lock through it around a tree. And, and we're just trying to innovate. Uh, to boast, you know, I had to deliver, a bu- I was on a, a week long trip in Arizona and I delivered a bunch of tools to the Grand Canyon and, and Shane on the trail crew there was like, nobody's thinking about moving dirt, like backslope tools. Like, like you guys are actually like trying to take how we move dirt as trail builders and, 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 and make it functional for us. And, and, and that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to take advantage of this niche of a niche of a niche of a niche industry and we're trying to make make tools that that work for us so that so that people you know like so we can get more done and people can hopefully value what we do a little bit more and then finally because i didn't have enough going and 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 i like to classify myself as a professional lemon picker upper and i currently have an armful of lemons and i'm trying to make i'm trying to make uh lemonade at this point but uh, starting in 2022, we're going to have recreation fabrication and we're going to, we're going to bring, uh, we're going to be fabricating bicycle ramps, trailhead features, anything, anything that might need to be fabricated for, for a project. We're looking to do that here. There's only a couple other providers in the country that, that, that make that stuff. We are again, circling back to my bike, my bicycle industry roots, um, looking at a foreign domestic supply chain for some stuff. Uh, we've tried 
we've tried with single track trails to, to sell some of those features and, and, and a lot of, a lot of projects just don't have the budget for that. And, and if we can, if we can figure out how to, uh, I, you know, what we're digging into, like, it doesn't even have to be foreign as in across the Pacific ocean. It can be foreign as in just down across, across the border from, from El Paso and Juarez, you know, you know, having, you know, hydroformed features come come from there it's that that's the next big thing for the bike industry it seems is 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 looking to the south to to, to get frames manufactured and versus having to container them all the way across the ocean yeah that makes a lot of sense because that's definitely an issue with supply chain right now and on the supply chain topic did you guys have i'm sure you did but did you have many issues with supply chain issues with tools this year uh, for, well, for, for, for back tools, for trails, tools, that is, for, for the non, the stuff you're not manufacturing yourself. Uh, we had, I mean, yes, the, the short answer is yes. We had, we had some massive supply chain issues. We had, we have a supplier who makes their product here completely in the U S randomly, not randomly. They intentionally make their products here in the U S but randomly you would think that they would be on top of their supply chain, but they they were actually struggling the most with their with their supply chain, uh, but but you know fortunately fortunately overall most of most of our vendors, uh, we were able to get our product no problem, but when when you have a for tools for trails are are currently our our primary tool of is is made in the USA and 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 when we struggle with that and we've looked at picking up a couple other tool companies based here in the US and 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 they have basically told us no not we're not going to open up any more vendors uh, into, until we can get on top of supply chain. It's just like, it's really weird that, that, you know, some of our vendors who, who are foreign manufacturers have a, are more on top of their supply chain than our local U S ones. Yeah. How was your, uh, for backslip tools? Did you do pretty good with getting all your orders filled there? Cause even metal was uh, short and short supply in some ways. Right. And so, so, you know, for, for, for backslip tools, we were able to leverage, uh, um, some old school bike industry contacts. And so we have a foreign and domestic supply chain. Our, our fiberglass comes from the U S our, our heads, our heads came from, from Taiwan. And we have some other products that are, our haul all is, is manufactured in, in the Seattle, in the Puget Sound area. And we're looking at looking, we're actually looking at, we have a couple of products that we're in development on and we're working with a industrial 3d printer in price Utah. So, so we're, we're looking to, to manufacture as much as we can here, but, um, they're like for our, for our, 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 our heads for our, for Clyde, what, what we are McLeod is we call it Clyde, because if you look at it in the, in the, in the profile, it actually looks like a, a Pac-Man ghosty. And, I didn't know this until until somebody pointed out that it looked like the ghosty that they all have different names and the orange one is Clyde. And so so we were able to um you know get our our heads coming in from 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 Taiwan no problem there and I I totally train wrecked on what was what was the the question on that one. Oh, we we're just talking about the supply chain issues for your personal stuff and you oh, answered yeah. it. Yeah. Okay, good. I was like there was something I was going someplace and I just train wrecked. No. So. It's just it's I mean, you and Scott Lindenberger hit it with, you know, getting, getting a company going that actually uses the tools that we use and tests the tools that we test, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. some McLeods aren't that awesome because of the nut on the bottom of them. Those things drive me nuts because they always pack full of dirt. 
Well, so that's, yeah. And people are like, like, I hate the nut because when I, when I tamp, it leaves that little dot. And it's just like, ah, but, but yeah, it, it packs up with dirt and, and, you know, for, for the Clyde, you know, we are hearing back that the, the holes, the lockability holes, like too much, too much rock or dirt goes through those. And so, so it's like, like, again, like the moment single track trails builds the perfect trail, we're done. And in and, and backslope tools, when, when, when we build the perfect tool, we're, we're going to be done and, 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 and tools for trails. When, when we, when we supply all the, all the, all the, all the groups across the country, we're going to be done. Like, like, like there, there's, there's only so, you know, when we do something perfect, like, like you're not going to be, that takes the fun out of it. You know, chasing, chasing perfection is, is kind of why we all do what we do. Goes back to living on the edge of incompetency. (laughs) I I can't wait to use that one. (laughs) Yeah. Well, how do you want to wrap this thing up? What kind of message do you want to, do you want to end on? Uh, that's, that's a, that's a, that, that's actually harder than the famous failure. <laughs> you know, I, I think, you know, for, for me as a, as a standpoint, uh, you know, um, I'd love to wrap up on a, on a, you know, what, what we do is, is above and beyond just, you know, like, like, like we do what we do because we, we love building trails and we want to make other people happy. But, but in reality, if, if we're going to grow the industry, you know, we want to, we want, we need to act like business people. We need to stop criticizing others for quote unquote charging too much. And we need to stop, you know, we need to work together as an industry to, to, to promote ourselves and, and, and push, push ourselves forward. And, and we need to stop, you know, volunteers need to stop saying, you know, like, like, you know, throwing themselves under the bus and undervaluing the, the time that they spend on things because they spend hundreds of hours you know, complete thousands of hours completing trail projects. And, you know, I've been, I've been pondering on my drives, like how do we at least as a money in money out standpoint, get municipalities to value, you know, volunteer trail builds, like, like, like basically like local trail associations are donating hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to local state parks. And that's not, that's not, that's not money in money out on a, on a budget. Like, like it should be like, Money, money, income, $250,000 for, for a trail build, money out, volunteer labor kind of thing. Like, like it, at least we can account for it because if we, if we never get our, what we do valued on a, on a P and L uh, on a municipality P and L, like they're never going to value us. We're just going to be free labor. Yeah. So, yeah. And you, you know, we've locally, at least within my organization, we've really been hammering on volunteers to get their hours recorded. You know, because then we can go back to that right. municipality and say, you know, if you put a labor rate on these hours, this is how many hours your municipality just got mm-hmm. and how much and how much right. that's actually right. worth. Right. And if you get a machine donated and if you get, you know, if you can get, you know, a, a professional trail building company to come in and donate some time and, 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 and you know, uh, a planning company to help create the plan and, and, and go there. It's, you know, I remember way back to the first time I put together a grant budget and it was mainly just to help pay for my salary. And it was just like, by the end of it, it's like, Oh, this is why budgets are so inflated because they start counting anything and everything. And now, now later on, I'm just like, no, we have to count all that stuff. It, you know, like we, we, you know, we want to make, we want to show that, Hey, we can get this done for basically free, but we need to, we need to get them. We need to get the, 
the agencies and 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 the public. It's not even just the, the agencies, but the public to understand that there's a there's there there's a dollar value to to what we're doing. Yeah. And before we really close this thing out, you also talked about having neighbors line up with fixing sanitary systems. You right. know, this has been talked about on on this show before where you don't call up your neighbors to build the local school. You don't call up your neighbors to put that next road project right. through or build that tennis court or whatever piece of infrastructure you want to put out there that's professionally built and trails are no different, especially if you want them built right. right. Exactly. And, and I've been, I've been trying to, I've been trying to use words that we would use for, for public, you know, like using public utilities, using capital investment, public infrastructure, transportation infrastructure, you know, just because we build, we build low maintenance trails, we don't build no maintenance trails. And so there should be, there should be a, 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 a maintenance and operating plan associated with almost every build that we ever do. And it should be, it should be more than just like, Hey, we're going to have, you know, like this is to me, this is one of the biggest uh, downfalls of the Palisade plunge is, is you have 32 miles of, of trail of trail that we just built. And, and the, the maintenance and operating plan is that cop mobile will take care of it. And it's just like, so overall, the budget to, to build the Palisade plunge. When you think about, when you think about the agencies involved, when you think about what our value of our contract was, what it was to plan, what it was, you know, the amount of time that cop mobile put in over, it was like, you know, you know, it's, it's a few million dollars for that. And we're just going to say, Hey, volunteers, you're now in charge of taking care of this. And we're, we're talking, we're talking about a trail that, you know, it could take two or three hours to hike in to a location because you have to, you can only access it from the end, from the endpoints when you, when you get to the bottom half. And it's like, that's a bit tough to ask a volunteer, like, Hey, volunteer, come beat yourself up all weekend, maintaining this trail. Uh, and we have, we have a beer and a hamburger for you. And it's just like, like, like if, if we're going to say that Palisade plunge is a, is a reason to move to the grand Valley, if we're going to say that Palisade, the plunge is the reason to come visit, uh, the town of Palisade and the grand Valley as a tourist, there should be some dollars to take care of that. Oh, for sure. And you just went off on a tangent of what I've been wanting to do for a whole podcast series, which is the maintenance end of things. <laughs> I, I'm happy. I'll come back on again. We, we can, we can, we can fire We can, we can get on some soapboxes. Yeah. But real quick, I think it's the future of, of what we do at single track trails and the future of the industry. Just because we keep, you know, we keep adding more and more, trails to the to the country but we're not maintaining it's like at some at some point there's going to be serious kickback from land agencies like and we're starting to see it in colorado and we're starting to see it in utah and soon it'll be wyoming but it's just like 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 you keep wanting to add more trail you want to add five more miles to the existing 65 but there's no plan to take care of the 65 and so 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 we're actively chasing maintenance contracts at single track trails and that's, a, that's an important thing too. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially as, and we're, we're going deeper, um, especially as people and users want more jumpy trails and more gravity oriented trails, like that stuff especially requires a lot of maintenance mm-hmm. and people don't understand what it really takes to build or to maintain a jump line. Right. Right. It takes, it's, it's, yes, it takes a lot of, it takes a lot <laughs> to, to keep that in good condition. That came up on the topic, you know, when I was doing the Knoxville series, Brian Hahn brought it up, you know, with what it took to get the Devil's Racetrack built, but then what they've done since then and how 
they didn't quite have their head wrapped around what it took to maintain it. And they brought in another company to resurface it just this last fall Mm -hmm. and what that cost. Right. And yeah. And, and, you know, ski areas with the, with their lift serve downhill bike parks and uh, you know, but it it takes a lot to maintain it. Thinking back to PBR uh, out in Fruta, you know, doing it with my friends a few, a couple weeks ago. And it's just like, it needs, it's been around since 2012. We've done a little bit of work on it, but it kind of needs a serious, it's pretty flat at this point and it needs a serious rebuild. Yep. And with all the users we have, all the new users, I should say, coming online Mm -hmm. since the COVID pandemic hit, Mm -hmm. that's just that much more maintenance. Right, right, right. So, and you know, it's, uh, the positive to that is, is, is for folks like us who are in the industry, it's, 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 it's job security. <laughs> it is. It is. We want to build stuff right the first time, but we do have to, under, I mean, everything needs yeah. maintenance. I don't oh, care yeah, what yeah. it is. Yeah. Pools get maintenance, roads get maintenance, tennis courts gets maintenance, buildings get maintenance. Mm-hmm. So we can't bury our head in the sand and think that this is a sustainable trail we built. It's never going to need maintenance. Right, right, right. Exactly. No, it, it, yeah at some point and, and they're doing, I'm, I'm, I'm a mile away as they're rebuilding I-25 right now out there for, you know, yes, they're adding a lane, but it was in serious disrepair to begin with. So. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for, for coming on and being a guest and taking some time out of your day to do this. I really yeah. appreciate it. No problem. Thank you for reaching out. I'm, 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 I'm pumped to be on, on board and talking with you. Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed on the show can be found in the show notes. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. This podcast has been made possible by Mountain Bike Radio, Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and is an Evolution Trail Services production. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature on Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.